Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. He's alive and I've been forgiven. He's alive and heaven gates are open wide. He's alive. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. From the preaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, First Baptist Bossier presents The First Word. He is risen, he is risen indeed. That's uh, a liturgy that was used in early churches every Easter Sunday. And uh, I think we could not say anything any more profound than he is risen, he is risen indeed. So what I want you to do this morning, people are still trying to get in the building, we've got chairs out, we've got people still coming in, we've got them sitting on the steps back there. And we're just glad you're all here. But let's, uh, I'm going to say, He is risen. I want you to say, He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Our D.C. Mason's father passed away this past week, and I attended that funeral. He died suddenly at choir practice as they were practicing the King is Coming. No sounds, no pains, he just passed away. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, what a way to go. I can't think of a better way to go than, than in choir practice singing the King is Coming and just let the angels escort you into the presence of the king himself. And so for him, it was total joy. For the family, of course, it was a shock. And the, the kind of work that I do, I don't have the luxury of living in denial of mortality. I face death over and over and over again. A few days ago, I was in Alabama and I went to the grave of my father the first time I'd been there since dad passed away. I took Shelby with me. And as we stood there, memories flooded my mind and heart. But you know what I thought most, most of all in that place? I thought to myself, thank God for Easter. Because my dad is more alive than ever. And one day we'll be reunited. Why? Because of Easter. Easter answers the greatest question ever asked. Job asked it in the Old Testament. If a man die, shall he live again? Jesus answered it in the New Testament. Because I live, you shall live also. The two greatest problems that we have, sin and death, Easter solves both of them. I wondered what I could say to you on this Easter Sunday in 1996 that would speak realistically to the issues and the struggles that you face. 
so that when you leave here today, you leave with something and someone who can equip you to face whatever comes to you in life. And that's what Easter is all about. The fact that you and I can relate to God and that we can get help and that we can be equipped to handle the issues of life. There are three symbols that capture the way we relate to God in today's world. The first one is a manger. The manger answers two questions of mankind. Is there a God? And if there is a God, does God care about us? The manger answers both those questions with an unqualified yes. There is a God and he does care. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit impregnated a first century young girl. She was from Nazareth in Palestine. She was taken by her fiance, who was a carpenter, from Nazareth to Bethlehem because of the Roman taxation. And there Mary, a woman who had never had sex, bore a child and made his cradle into a manger, and that crying baby was God caring enough to come into this world. There is a God, and yes, he cares. He cared enough to come into this world to show us his love, to provide forgiveness. Philippians says it this way, Philippians 2, verse 6, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. How do we relate to God in today's world? The manger, the cross. Jesus grew up in a normal kind of way in, as a Jewish child would grow up in a Roman-dominated world. At about age 30, he left the carpenter shop where he had worked with his dad, and he began a public ministry. His public ministry was marked by radical teaching, by revolutionary thinking. You talk about a revolutionary, it was Jesus Christ. He upset some people. He breathed life into Old Testament teaching. He pitched relationship over rules and rituals. He shook up the religious establishment. And he reached out in love to people that others ignored. He reached out to the social outcasts, to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors. But let me tell you why Jesus came to earth. Jesus came to earth to die on a cross. That's why he came. Therefore, the cross is the centerpiece of the Christian message because without the cross, there is no grace, there is no salvation, there is no new beginning, there is no forgiveness. I saw a cartoon that had two men standing under a picture of Christ on the cross. And underneath it said, if I'm okay and if you're okay, then what is he doing up there? A great truth. It was simply because you and I were not okay. That we had a sin problem that we could not solve. That was beyond human solution. 
that God loved us so much that he sent his son into this world to die on a cross. So God relates to man. There is a God and God does care. The manger shows it. The cross proves it beyond any shadow of a doubt. Now to be honest, sinful man doesn't like the cross. We want to find a way around it. Somehow modern man believes that he's not really a sinner. He just has a few problems. He's just human. Society made him this way. Our God made him this way. But the Bible says there is no difference. We have all sinned and come short of God's glory and every man needs a savior. Sinful man doesn't like the blood. We get criticized sometimes for talking about the blood and singing about the blood. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, you take the blood out of the gospel and you have no gospel. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So Jesus came to die on a cross and he was nailed to that cross. Spit and blood caked to his face. His lips cracked and swollen. His lungs crying out. His legs cramping. Dying in naked shame. From noon to three o'clock, there was supernatural gloom that just covered the cross and the earth quaked. The veil of the temple split in two. The world stood still, covered in darkness as Jesus hung on the cross. Now listen to me carefully. When he was on the cross, he felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. And when he was on the cross, he felt the sin of the world on his soul. Imagine that. He who knew no sin. And yet now as he hangs on the cross, all that is hateful and wrong, all that is sinful, is covering him, closing in on him until he becomes what he could never be apart from his own ultimate submission. He literally became sin for us. Think of it. Every sin that's ever been committed or ever will be committed was thrust upon him. And imagine the horror that he felt. Imagine what he sensed as he sensed himself to be a dirty, rotten sinner. The one who had never had a wrong thought, who had never done a wrong deed. And now the weight of the sins of the world were upon him and he felt himself to be sin. He felt sin covering his sinless person. And he felt himself become a foul sinner dripping with corruption. No wonder he cried out, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Then the darkness lifted. And as the darkness lifted, Jesus said these words, it is finished. Tay, tell us that. It's finished. But you know, those at the cross did not recognize the victory. Those standing around the cross saw the motionless body of the one that they had put so much faith in. They thought it was over. They had broken hopes, broken dreams. 
They thought that somehow this man was the man. He was the Messiah. He would be the one to break the back of the Roman dominion. He would be the one to redeem Israel and set them free. You see, they misunderstood when Jesus said, it is finished. They understood it to mean he is finished. But indeed, that was not the case. Because the third symbol is the empty tomb. There is something beyond the manger. As significant as it is. There is something beyond the cross. Even though the cross is central, it's the heart of Christianity. Something that gives all of it meaning. Something that gives all of it credibility. That validates all of it. It is an empty tomb. Listen to Matthew 28 verse 5. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. And I love this. Just as he said. Everything Jesus tells you, you can count on. Everything he says will happen, will happen. He says, one day I will come back. Count on it. He's coming back. He says, one day we'll be with him. Count on it. One day we'll be with him. Just as he said, he came from the grave. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Come see where he was. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will find him now, I have told you. So Jesus bursts from the grave, just as he said, dead man walking. The world had never seen it, but it happened. The manger says God is willing to take human form. The cross says God is willing to take our place and die for us. The empty tomb says God has removed the greatest barrier, the greatest problem, the sting of death. He conquered death and the grave, offering us eternal life. I say this as lovingly and as straightforward as I possibly can. There is a God. And God truly cares. And he is alive today. And he wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to establish a relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to guide you. He wants to change your life. He wants to mold you into his image. He wants to get you ready for the life to come. Luke chapter 24. Would you turn to that? Luke chapter 24. And let's read one of these encounters with a resurrected Christ. Luke 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. 
And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Clopas answered and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word from God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we're hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here are two people, probably Cleopas and his wife. We don't know who that other person was. Walking down the road seven miles from Jerusalem in a village called Emmaus. And their faces are downcast. They're sad. They are discussing all the events that happened. No doubt there were tears because their dreams and their hopes had been shattered. God had promised a Messiah to deliver Israel, but it didn't happen. And so they are, they are in this condition talking, downhearted, downcast, when Jesus comes up to them. Have you played the worst case scenario game? Uh, it's a game that uh, is best played during the night by a pessimist person who's having a sleepless night, but anybody can play it because it, it's a what if kind of thing. And every what if question causes a series of other frightening questions. What if? What if this happened? What if that happened? Strangely, the most optimistic man in the New Testament plays the what if game in 1 Corinthians 15. It's the Apostle Paul. He is the eternal optimist, but in God's wisdom, he plays this mind game. And he asks some questions. What if? What if there is no resurrection? Then Christ is dead, says verse 13 of that chapter. What if Christ is dead? Then the Christian message is a useless lie. It is a cruel hoax. What if Christ is dead? then the Christian faith is an exercise in futility, void of content. If Christ is dead, Paul says, we're all still in our sins. 
He says, if Christ is dead, then a dead Savior cannot deliver you from condemnation and cannot give you power to conquer life on a daily basis. Paul says, if Christ is dead, those who died believing in Him are lost. Your loved ones, my loved ones, they're lost, no hope. And then he says, if Christ is dead, we are of all people to be most pitied. Because everything that we believe in and hold on to is pinned to the resurrection. But then Paul goes on to proclaim, guess what? Jesus is alive. Christ is not dead. The resurrection is an historical fact. Paul had a young man that he was training in Paul's latter days, a young Timothy. And he was pouring his life into Timothy. And he was teaching Timothy those things that he wanted Timothy to know. And then in his last correspondence to young Timothy, Paul gave a message, only 14 words. But it was the summation of his life. He said, of all the things I've taught you, Timothy, this is what I want you to know. And I want you to know that you know it. Remember Jesus Christ. Raised from the dead. Descended from David. This is my gospel. What a message. This is what I want you to know, Timothy. If you know this, everything will be okay. If you know this, you will make it. If you know this, you'll be able to help others. Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the grave. Descended from David. This is my gospel. Oh, did you read the papers this past week where they found three caskets in Jerusalem and uh, on one casket was the name of Mary, on another the name of Joseph, on another the name of Jesus. And that those liberal skeptics who say, aha, we found the caskets of Mary and Joseph and Jesus and in those caskets are bones. Well, what they probably did not tell you is that those were very, very common names and you'll find those names in every burial place all over Israel. You say, but what if they find the bones of Jesus? They are not going to. <laughs> now Jesus is, is watching these two. Now they're walking on the way to Emmaus. And Jesus, listen, Jesus knew exactly where they were. He knows where you are on the road of life. You need to understand that. Sometimes you feel like nobody knows or cares where you are. Jesus knows and He cares. He knows exactly where you are on the road of life. Some of you feel like nobody knows how I'm struggling. Nobody knows how I'm hurting. I beg your pardon, Jesus does. He knew the terrain of their souls. He knew the geography of their lives. And perhaps He floated up behind them and then he materialized right beside them. You see, when you hear the word omniscience, it sounds cold and cosmic. 
But it's really a warm and personal word. He knows all about us. He cares about us. The psalmist says in one, Psalm 139 verse 2, You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. He knows and He cares about us. And so now Jesus materializes beside them and He's asked them the question in verse 17, What are you discussing? You see, Jesus loves to ask questions. He is, the, he is the master at asking questions. But he never asks for his information. It's always for the person's information. His questions are for us, not him. So he says, what, what are you discussing? And what he gets back from Cleopas is biting sarcasm. Kind of a caustic response. Where have you been? What do you mean, what are we discussing? What rock did you crawl out from under? Everybody in Jerusalem is talking about it. Don't you watch television? Don't you read the Jerusalem Times? I know that's not in there, but, it's, but you understand where I'm going with this. It's amazing to watch your expressions. I didn't know they had television then. So here is a, a bit of sarcasm. It's, it's coming at Jesus saying, where have you been? Don't you know anything that's going on? But notice Jesus' loving response, non-defensive. What things? What things? Now this time they both jumped in and responded and neither one of them were possibility thinkers. They, were, they, were, they had a negative attitude and they were downcast and depressed. And so they, they give their report in those verses 19 to, to 24. As they, they pour out their doubts and their fears, they let it all out. They were confused. They were discouraged. They were depressed. They felt let down. They had put all their hopes in this man who was going to deliver them. And he had not delivered them. He had not come through. I want you to know that Jesus listened as they shared their hearts. He listened to their doubts. He listens to their fears. And, I, and th that's good news for you and me. That means that we have someone to listen to us. He can handle our doubts. He can handle our fears. He invites honesty. And so he let them talk it out. He let them give their report. And then in verses 25... And 27, he, he begins to, to explain the Scripture. And what Jesus does is, here you have a unique situation, because you have the Word expounding the Word. Jesus, who is the Word, is expounding the Word. He's making clear Scriptures about Himself. And He's letting these two people know that death is no obstacle for Jesus. That was not the end of Jesus. Death was a necessary part of God's plan. God's in control. God is going to deliver. God can be trusted. He can be counted on. This was all a part of God's plan. 
all of a sudden their hearts began to soften. Their depression began to melt away. You ever thought about what grief they'd been spared if they had known the Word of God? Because Jesus said, didn't you read the prophets? Didn't you understand what the book said, that this all had to happen, that Jesus would come and be born? You see, the birth of Christ and his, the things surrounding his life and his death were predicted seven, eight hundred years before they ever happened. Didn't you read the Word of God? You see, when, you, when you're confused about our world and all that's happening in our world, the best thing you can do is read God's Word. He said it would all happen. The Bible has something to say about every issue and problem in your life. And Jesus is at the center of every solution. No other book like it. So now their hearts are softened. And verse 29, they urge him strongly to stay with them. They say, stay with us. Spend the night with us. Eat with us. And so the risen Christ then breaks bread with him. But I want, you to, I want you to realize something. He didn't invite himself. They invited him. He won't crash a party. He will not come into your life uninvited. He will not force himself into your life. He comes in at your personal invitation. Matters not how much he loves you and how much he wants to come into your life. He gives you the choice to invite him in. And some of you are seated here this morning who've never, ever made that choice. You've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart and life. I encourage you to do that today. They broke bread together. And when they broke the bread, all of a sudden they recognized Jesus. Now, some believe they saw the nail prints in his hands and that's how they knew that it was Jesus. Surprise. Jesus Christ is alive and he is in our presence. Now, why didn't they recognize him before? Well, there's a physical explanation and that some think that the sun was in their eyes as they were walking toward the sun. They were downcast. They had their heads down. They simply didn't see, didn't see Jesus, didn't see his face, didn't recognize him. Psychological explanation. They were so dejected, so depressed that they didn't expect to see Jesus because he was dead. There's a spiritual explanation that the resurrection body was different and it was different and that Jesus could appear here and he could appear there and he could walk through doors. And the Bible seems to indicate that, that God kept them from knowing who Jesus was momentarily. But now I want you to look at, at verse 32. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When we sensed his presence, were, were not our hearts burning? Was there not something burning within you? And they, they agreed there was something burning within them. This word literally means to set fire to. But not only does it mean to set fire to, it means to keep it burning. When I got to this passage, I thought that's Easter fire. You, you want to know what ought to make a difference in this community, in this city? Easter fire. 
That's what ought to make a difference in this church, Easter fire. Why are those people so bold? Why are they so aggressive? Why are they trying to make an impact? Why are they trying to tell everybody about Jesus Christ? Because they are consumed with Easter fire. We would say in today's world, they're fired up. Are you fired up about Jesus? If you are, somebody need to tell your face. Hello, you okay? <laughs> I mean, it's, an, it's Easter. You ought to be fired up. Some of you just sitting here like, bless me if you can. Uh, you got me here. Bless me if you can. If you don't do good, I won't come back to next Easter. <laughs> we ought to be fired up. And let me share something with you out of my heart. I want you to be here on April the 28th because we just went away and had a staff retreat and met together as a staff and talked about this church and the future of God and what God wants to do in our future. And I tell you, we're fired up. And we believe as we share these things with you, you're going to be fired up more than ever before because God wants us to do more than we've ever thought about doing. And how can it be possible? How can we do what God wants us to do in this place? It's got to be through Easter fire. That burning within us. And so they felt that burning. And the Bible says they got up at once and returned immediately to Jerusalem because the good news is too good to keep. It had to be shared. And they went back and told everyone that they had seen Christ. He is alive. We have seen him. I was talking with a man last week. He was confessing that his boss was to ride with him a couple of days later in his car. And uh, he normally listens to a Christian radio station. But he changed that station before the boss got in the car so the boss wouldn't think he was listening to a Christian radio station. And after it was all over, he felt terrible about it. Isn't it amazing that that sometimes we act ashamed of the risen Christ when we ought to be fired up about it when there ought to be burning something burning within us so that we cannot help but tell and share what Christ means to us you see if it is true and it is that Christ is alive and that he's the only hope of salvation for anyone then we ought to be fired up to reach all we can for Christ And I'm afraid a lot of times we want to control relationship. We're afraid of being called a fanatic. We're afraid of being called going to the extreme. I can call. I can let most of y'all relax. You're not fanatics. <laughs> Just relax. I mean, you're not even close. Now you act at ball games like you may be fanatical about those kind of things. But at church, we certainly don't act fanatical. And we don't act fanatical in sharing Christ out there in the world. Jesus said, I want a relationship with you that's out of control. I want it to be in my control. I want to be your friend. The way you build that relationship with Jesus is the same way you build it with anybody else. TLC, time Loyalty, communication. So the message of Easter is that Christ is alive and that anyone can know about Him 
But more importantly, anyone can actually know Him. You can know Christ personally. You can walk with Him just as they walked with Christ on that road to Emmaus. Christ says, I want to walk with you. He wants to walk up on your life and He wants to get in on your discussion. He wants to hear your hurts and your struggles and your doubts and your fears. He wants to be your best friend. He wants to be your strength, your source of power. And my friend, when you think that Christ offers you that, it is absolutely an unbelievable offer. That Christ, creator of the world, Savior who died on the cross, resurrected from the grave, wants to walk with you and talk with you and help you and guide you. That's incredible. After the Russian Revolution in 1917, uh, the apostles of atheism uh, were sent into these towns and villages to make sure that the people were deceived and deluded and uh, knew that they were atheists. And so they would have these rallies. And the local priests were no match for these people who and leadership in the Communist Party who were articulate and they had all this scientific knowledge and rhetorical skills and the local priests just couldn't handle it. But they got to one place and they were having this rally and then they offered an opportunity as they did in all the places for the local priest to say something. And that local priest took that opportunity to use the liturgy that they used every Easter to simply say, He is risen. And the whole crowd answered back, He is risen indeed. And he said, He is risen. And they said, He is risen indeed. They confessed their faith in the one fact that makes a difference. Here's the bottom line. Because Christ lives, you can live with triumphant determination. You can make it. Because Christ lives, you can live with triumphant expectation. It's going to be worth it. The best is yet to come. See, we get all discouraged about all these people who don't believe in Christ, don't believe in the church, and hates God, and hates religion. Don't worry about all that. Witness to everybody you can, but understand all are not going to accept Christ. But we've got something to look forward to. We've read the last chapter. We know how it's going to turn out. We won. And one day it'll be worth it all when we see Christ. It's the best case scenario. It's a win-win situation. Frank Clements grew up in Spring, Texas. And uh, shortly after his 18th birthday, he joined the Air Force. He made second lieutenant. And he flew sorties over the English Channel during the war. One day, his family got a telegram in Spring, Texas that said, Frank Clements is missing in action. 
Well, they were devastated. They knew what that meant. They called their pastor. And they got together with the pastor and they, they wept and they prayed and they wept. And tried to just receive the strength they could from their pastor. Two weeks later, they got that dreaded telegram that said, Frank Clements killed in action our deepest sympathy. The whole town mourned. They had the funeral, they had a memorial service, they had a casket with one rose on it. But the truth is that Frank Clements was not dead. There was another Frank Clements with a different initial and they both went down over the English Channel but Frank Clements from Spring, Texas survived. And he swam to a boat and he made it to safety and then they, they gave him a leave and he flew to New York and then he flew to Dallas and then he got on a, a bus from Dallas to Spring, Texas and being young and not knowing that his parents had received these terrible messages, he didn't let them know he was coming. And he walks up to his house and he walks around the back because his daddy's shop is in the back. His dad works on small appliances for a living. And he walked in the door of that shop and he saw his daddy with his back to him. Working on some small appliance. And he said, Dad, Dad. And that man turned around with an expression on his face unbelievable. And started running toward that boy, as you would imagine, grabbing him, hugging him, saying, He's alive! 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 And he went in the house saying that because his son who was dead was now alive. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're the kind of people we ought to be, we would leave here this morning dispersing out across this city throughout next week and the weeks to come we would say to people over and over he's alive he's alive he's alive and I've been forgiven he's alive and heaven gates are open wide he's alive Christ is risen he is risen indeed we hope you were blessed by our program today if you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 